Hello and welcome to Tech Law Talks, a DKLM podcast created and hosted by me, Gerard Kelly. Now, the purpose of the podcast is to inquire into the challenges young startups here in London face in today's environment. It's no secret that it's easier today to set up your own startup than ever before, but that doesn't mean it's easy. Throughout the series, I will host various guests from different backgrounds to try and understand these challenges and the tips they can give to overcome them. So stay tuned and subscribe if you want to hear all the information and more podcasts to come. Hi, and welcome to Tech Law Talks. In our first ever podcast, I have the pleasure of hosting Barrett Sorelli. Barrett has his finger in every sector London has to offer and works closely with young startups to guide them in their quest for funding and maintaining the right company structure. I am truly excited about our chat. Welcome to the show, Barrett, and thank you very much for coming. I guess we'll start where everybody starts. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So my profession is, well, basically dealmaker, headhunter, and uh, financer of startups, mm. all within the actual technology space. So most of my day is spent fielding calls from people who are within the technology space, either management companies who are looking to raise finance, uh, candidates at usually CEO, uh, CIO, and CFO level who work within technology companies who are looking for a new job. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the deal side, it's basically just keep in touch with all the venture capitalists, private equity guys, and the angels who are looking for new deals in various uh, specialities. At the moment, the big things are AI, IoT, Internet of Things, uh, VR, and AR as well, virtual reality and augmented reality. So you got a, your finger in every kind of I, possible... I, I try to keep myself busy, as yes. they say, yes. And yeah. keep myself interested. Doing one thing at a time has its advantages, but my personality, I would probably get very bored very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that. I think you're a, a terrific character. Um, oh, I'll pay you the five pounds after this. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, thank you for coming in and, and, yes. and sharing your experience no, with thank us. You. Um, how, are you, how would you say how you approach things? So how did you start out? Uh, at the beginning? Actually, it was the polar opposite of technology. Uh, I, When I started out, I was hired by my local council, uh, and the Americans would call it City Hall, over in Bolton in the Northwest. Mm. Really bad football team, known for Amir Khan and PDK. Uh, and that's about it, really. You know, good town hall, great Victorian building. And um, I started off as a clerical officer there, and I spent five years there, actually, when the poll tax came in. Was the 1990s, so I'm showing my age now. Mm. And um, I was uh, working in basically putting people to prison for non payment of the poll tax. Oh, wow. And then I see, when I came to London in 95, because uh, at that time I wanted to be a screenwriter or a film director, right. and Bolton wasn't the center of the universe for films in the UK. London was, so I came down here. The only transferable skills I had, because I hadn't gone to college, were council tax skills and council and poll tax skills. So I got a job as a clerical officer here with various boroughs in London. All right. And on the back of that, my uh, agency at the time, the recruitment agency, said that, you know, you're quite uh, gobby. You have a lot of things to ask and say. So why don't you become a recruitment system? So I went and did the interviews, did their tests. And then the last 15 odd years, I have been a recruitment consultant, working initially in the clerical side in the public sector, which is providing the same by the people that I used to work with and yes. work as. 
into the local councils uh, and then eventually went into finance into the public sector, which was uh, eventually finance directors uh, within local hospitals, uh, local authorities and housing associations. Then the bottom fell out of that market in 2009, so I moved to the polar opposite, which was private equity. Uh, still doing finance directors, but a lot of private equity firms invest in companies and one of the few things that they do look at initially uh, or they get rid of is the finance director. Mm. So I managed to build up a client list from there. Right. Okay. And that's and that was your way into the whole technology infrastructure information. Initially, industry. I was agnostic. Yeah. Init- absolutely. Initially, I was agnostic in the private equity industry. So I would do deals in pharmaceuticals. I would look for people within construction. Uh, and then I joined a boutique company for a couple of years uh, and basically just concentrated on what is called deal origination. Right. Not so much recruitment, just finding deals for various private equity companies. And as a process of that, I eventually moved into technology, yes. both on the recruitment and the deal origination side uh, and the actual deal, deal making side as well. So was it, was it always something back in 2009 that you thought this is a good market growing up? Uh, am I need to get into it, or I, I, I like challenges, yeah. and the polar opposite of public sector recruitment at that time yeah. was either investment banking recruitment or private equity recruitment. Right, it completely the polar opposite, and I just thought I can make a bit of money here. And once I got into it, it was one of those hindsight things where you're thinking I should have done this type of recruitment right from the beginning. Yes, because the great thing about private equity investment banking, it's all about the bottom line. Mm. It's all about the money, and it's quite clear-cut in how they make decisions. While the public sector has its pros and cons, there the recruitment cycle was a bit slower, mm. and there were a lot more people to actually appease, as it were, the stakeholder management and what have you. And what I've realized now, working in both industries, both the private and the public sector industries, is that my own mindset and my own personality is probably better suited to the private industry. Yes. And it's yeah. very challenging. It's a very challenging industry. It is and a challenge. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I yeah. uh, just, just thinking, we, we touched on earlier about the kind of people that thrive within this market. They're, they're usually the ones very determined to, to get something, to get their product, to get their service first and to show the advantages they have over, over others. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. The, the private private industry, not just the private equity industry, mm. the commercial industry, commerce, commerce itself, is very product, service, money-driven. Mm. You don't go into that uh, mainly to do service for others. Yes. That's the public sector, you know, hospitals, doctors, nurses, People who work in the councils, you know, social services. That are, if you're that way inclined, that is where you go. You will get a decent wage, and uh, you will get a decent pension. They used to, and your your whole ethos is looking after your constituents. Yes. In commerce, especially on the more ultra capitalist side of things, which is private equity, which is startups, which is technology, it's all about getting product and services out there making the biggest impact and a and a throw off of that really yeah. a sideline off of that is that if you get it right you'll make a lot of money and get your product out there and get your product out there <laughs> yes absolutely absolutely i mean the americans are probably better at 
balancing the two is that they want to change the world, mm. but they're not afraid of making, you know, coming out and saying, yes, well, I want to be a billionaire. Yeah, no, definitely. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I mean, um, a lot of millionaires and billionaires in America who are out in the public domain and public eye will say that um, the more money I make, the more money I can give to charity. That's right, yeah. And that's how they square it with themselves. So... They probably reinvest that a lot in within the company as well. They reinvest in the companies as well, but when you get to you know multi millions or you know a billion, yeah. as it were, it's you're not too bothered about your your bills. Yeah, um, I mean, you're about you know it's all about how what kind of income impact you can make, the change you can make. Bill Gates worked very very hard, very aggressively when he was building Microsoft. Yes, and now he's moved on to the you know the the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, mm. and he'll go down as one of the great philanthropists. Yes, yes, he will do. But try crossing Bill Gates when, you know, Bill Gates was running Microsoft and see where you get at that time. <laughs> so there's, you know, there's two coins to each individual. That's right, yeah. There, there, there is a process and a, that's and a right, life story yes. behind it. And, well, what do you think the current status of London is compared to, you know, uh, other major European cities? Well, the European Digital City Index... Uh, 2016, uh, 2017 figures, right. uh, rates London as the number one place to do startups and scale-ups. Now, that is based on 28 European capitals and 32 digital hubs, innovation hubs across Europe. And we came first. And we came first. Oh. Closely followed by Stockholm. You know, <laughs> and then surprisingly, we got Amsterdam. Oh. And not surprisingly, number four, we got Helsinki. And there's not that much separating the four. So um, London is there, yes. but there are other cities coming up very quickly. Mm. Now, London is, it's you know the centre of fintech world. It has got the major research universities within the M25. We've got a very talented workforce. We've got good infrastructure. Oh, we do, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very infrastructure. good. Yeah. The issue that we find in the startup world is that early stage financing. Early stage, as in C. You know, um, right from the get go, yeah, where to get it, how uh, to do is it is very, very hard, and that's probably where you come in, right? You... And I usually come in at that time to you know connect management teams with angel investors mainly, right? There are some VCs who are working in that space, but not that many, okay, not as many as people think they are. Mm. Uh, but that is a big opportunity for a VC company or a group of angels to actually create a syndicate that only concentrates on early stage, seed or pre-revenue tech companies, not just fintech, but other tech companies That's right. within London. Mm. So yeah. it's a massive opportunity for somebody to come in there. You know, we're competing against people in Silicon Valley who've had this for 30, 40 years. Mm. Um, in Asia, we've got the Singaporean government, we've got the Chinese government who subsidize the early stages and yes. have got seed funding, you know, government-backed seed funding and it's in their interest to actually get these companies to the next level of funding where the private funding comes in. Yes. We don't really have that here, you know. So if London is to retain its number one position mm. in Europe, and if it's to actually become, uh, let's say, the next Silicon Valley, everybody wants to be the next Silicon Valley, <laughs> but if London wants to actually, you know, come up against Palo Alto, San Francisco, uh, Shanghai and Hong Kong, Singapore then whoever's out there listening to this needs to actually think, okay, there is an opportunity here for an early-stage seed fund, a proper one. Yes. That will actually look at so that management teams can go to. At the moment, it's piecemeal, it's bootstrapping, and then people like me will try to find angels, 
the thing about angels is that it's their own money, so the due diligence is a bit longer. Right. They're going to have more control, yes. which is not necessarily a bad thing, especially mm. if they're tech angels. On the VC side, um, it's not their money, but it's the fund's money. But they still have to do a lot of due diligence, one of you. And the, from the moment you have a great idea or you have a product or a service that is ready to bring in revenue, to the moment it actually then creates uh, momentum. That is the issue that we have in London, mm. is where is that money coming from? And a lot of great ideas... A lot of good companies don't actually make it here, but somehow they go to the West Coast, they yeah. save some money up. Mm-hmm. They always say to people, if you've got to do it in London, save your money up, work a second job, you know, so get over to the West Coast, go over to Palo Alto, mm-hmm. you know, create uh, and uh, put some interviews together. And a lot of them do actually find money over there. Wow. And that's the issue. That's the issue we're finding here is that... That's, a, that's something big. That's a, that's a big difference. There is a big difference. Is that the risk profile over here, uh, we're not as... We don't, we don't have the appetite for risk. Whereas over there, they... they over there, they, they do. A, they've had it, you know, it's in, it's in their DNA. You know, they've got that <laughs> culture. The thing is, they've got more resources than we do. Mm. They've got multi-billion pound funds that only develop themselves to seed, yes. to early stage, to companies that don't make any revenue for 10 years. Having said that, as we've come number one, we must be doing something right. No, no, we are doing something right. We are. We're, mm-hmm. You know, in fintech, we're probably even leading Silicon Valley in fintech, okay. as it were. But I think fintech is not the only thing that we can concentrate on. There are other areas of tech that we, can, we need to get better at, to actually not just be dependent on just fintech. Yes, so, so we can diversify. We can diversify. We have, you know, we have, you know, we're working on all the industries of tech as it is opposed to fintech. Yes, we we need to create a culture of fintechs, other other technology businesses coming in. Yeah, developing. Product. I mean, we're not very good at hardware. You know, we're not good at hardware as it were, both B two B or B two C hardware. We're not very good at that mm. because we, you know, our manufacturing base is not there. Mm. And a lot of the skill set that we had from, let's say, engineering and light engineering manufacturing that we would have had yes. has been decimated through various economic issues that we've had over in, in the 80s and the 90s. So we don't have that culture of tinkering anymore that the Americans still do and the Japanese and the Chinese still do, mm. as it were. Yes. And that is something that you know, we'll need to address if we want to remain number one, you know, because we can't just remain number one in fintech. Yes. I appreciate all the fintech guys who say, well, it doesn't matter, matter to me, which is fine. But, you know, there is more to the world of technology than just fintech. I mean, we should be leading in big, big data, AI, cloud. You know, we have our companies there. Uh, I represented a company called Entertainment Intelligence, who are doing some amazing stuff as data aggregate. They, they, they call themselves data wranglers. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, they're worldwide, but based in London. But we need more companies like that. We do. We need yes. more companies like that. So it is where the some of the politicians pay lip service, you know, but on, on all you know political sides, there needs to be a dedicated political will to say, okay, X billions, and without going just millions, X billions have to be found. And they're not just given to the same old people yes, that's right. who've yeah. worked in a private equity firm or a VC firm or what have you. But given to people who actually ran and sold and ex- successfully exited mm. funds or successfully exited companies and run funds, who then okay think okay now we can create the next level of entrepreneurs. 
So what do you think the benefits are? Uh, I, don't, I know you, we've touched on this before, where you help young startup companies who might not have the expertise of the finance sure. bit, but you say, look, uh, get some people on board, on your board, who will be able to help you on that side, and you can concentrate on your product or your service, because after all, you are the genius behind it. Yes, yes. I mean, I mean what, um, I mean, this, this is taking exactly from how Silicon Valley was built, and if you talk to anybody in the Valley, some of the things I'm going to talk about now, they will, they already know. One thing, uh, the biggest thing, in a sense, is you need to be able to sell. Not just the product or the service to your end user, Mm. Whether that be another business, B2B or B2C, the consumer, you need to be able to sell to bring on new talent. Yes. Why should they choose your startup from another startup? Then you need to be able to sell to you know, potential board members, mentors. Yes. Why should they mentor you when they've got everybody else coming after them as well? And you know, ultimately, you need to be able to sell to investors. That's right. Well, what is your narrative? Why are you? Why should we actually invest X hundreds of thousands of pounds, mm. X millions of pounds in you, yes. Mr. CEO, Mr. Technology Guy, mm. as opposed to all the other deals that we see? Yes. I mean, I work with a mid-market private equity firm a couple of years back, and one of their investment directors said to me, "Listen, Baron, we see four hundred deals a year, and out of that, we have to create and find those gems that we can then." take to the investment committees. Yes. Mm. So that brings us on to the amount of understanding that CEOs and uh, technology people now at the startup stage, they need to understand the investment side. What is seed funding? What is Series A to BC? How do you work with a VC? What is the difference between an angel and a VC and another private equity? Where does it all come out? What might potential exits going to be? Mm. They need to understand the investment cycle because then they're going to have a proper dialogue mm. with potential investors. Yes. You know, what is the actual equity ratio that I'm going to give away? Um, yeah, because that's very important. Yeah, how am I going to yeah. value this company? A few months ago, one, one of the uh, VC uh, uh, investors, and they were saying, you know, we had this great guy who came in with a great product, with great service, but he already gave too, away too much of the company. So yeah. what was our piece of product? And, and, and how was he going to be at the end where he had 1% or 2% of his own company? That's it. I do think yeah. they, they need to understand. Yeah. You know, people say to me, well, where can we learn this from? You know, who, who's going to ever talk to us? I'm saying, well, it's all on the internet. Mm. You know, there's a couple of podcasts that I always say, and I'll say to people, you know, check these out. One is The Full Ratchet, okay? And it has about 200-odd episodes. What is that? And that basically takes you through the investment cycle. It tells oh, you what okay. a VC is, because they interview VCs. <laughs> it tells you what an angel is. Mm -hmm. They go through um, the investment cycle of it in, in itself and tends to take a little company and all the way through what is seed financing, how do they actually then get the Series A financing, and then and, and on and on. And that's very good. Uh, and they talk to the CEOs have been through that in both hardware and software. Yes. It's an American podcast, but it's useful because those methodologies don't change. Wherever you're, if you're in Palo Alto or New York or London. Or no matter Singapore, what language you speak, matter. it's all the that, same. That cycle is going to be roughly the same. Mm. Okay? Now, the other one that I always say to people, listen, it's only 10 episodes long. Is you know, and it's got a cheap bit of a cheesy title, you know, how to start a startup, you know. But the people behind it are Stanford University and Y Combinator. Wow! And you really can't get much better than those two. And it's about uh, fifteen hours long. Okay. I say to people, listen, just download it, download it, yeah. listen to it. 
you know, binge listen to it. You're good at Netflix. You know, you binge watch <laughs> something, binge, you know, listen to this podcast. Yes. And you'll get a major ground understanding of how to actually start setting up your company, what you need to know, where your gaps are yes. in your own knowledge. Yes. And then, you know, you're a technology person. You're a CEO, you're a CFO. Go out and then fill the gaps. Mm. Talk to people like me. Talk to other people. But get, you know, it's up to you to educate yourself. Nobody's going to do it for you. You know, you're an entrepreneur. You've got some go-getting this. Well, then you've got to do that with your own learning as well. Mm. The other part of it over here I find is that people really need to have a patent strategy. That's yeah. very key, isn't it, nowadays? It is key nowadays. Um, a lot of people on the West Coast and a lot of people in Singapore understand patents because they understand that if they create something and it's patentable, mm. and even if they get a patent pending, what have you, and they can put that into their business plan, it shows to the potential investors that not only that you're serious, is that you've actually got a bit of a business mind. And right. patents are valuable commodities for any business. And, and that's because they can earn revenues in different ways. You can license a patent off depending on what... And it, again, it creates a barrier of entry for anybody in your space. So if anybody tries and yeah. takes over your business, you say, well, hold on a minute. I've, well, got, <laughs> I've got something behind or me. Or a competitor, a deep-pocketed competitor comes into the market. Yes. But you've got the patents on whatever it is. That's right. Service product, you know, hardware, software. Then it's going to be a bit harder for them to actually duplicate that. And so, you know, patent strategy and, and aligned with patents is R&D, you know, tax credits, yes. which is a unique UK government. Is it, is yeah. it only unique here? As far as, as far as as far as I know, that it's unique for the for the UK economy. And how does that work exactly? So the government basically will give you up to fifty percent. Now I'm sure R and D guys out there will be saying, no, no, it's more, much more than that or less than that. <laughs> but, I, but from my understanding of talking to an R and D tax specialist, it's up to fifty percent of your spend on research and development. And then it's not just for technology companies. It, you could be a manufacturing company that's come up with a new widget, whatever. Yes. But you've still had to design it spend the R&D money to yes. actually get to that point. Yes, that's right. You went through the process. Yes, when you yeah. went through the process. So as long as you can actually show that, mm. you will be able to actually put an application in. And you know what? You can get up to, you get up to 50% of your money back. Even more. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. You, you can get a lot of money back. In you turn, of that, that's a life cycle. Every couple of years, somebody comes out with something which just completely blows your mind and you're thinking, wow. That's and, right. it, and it just, you know, people use the word disruption. And it is disruptive. And everywhere. I want people, you know, everywhere we go, things are getting disrupted. Nice. The biggest taxi company in the world doesn't actually own any taxis. <laughs> Uber, you know. Because who thought that might have been? Well, who thought that might have been five years ago? Yes. Um, ten know, years ago, when Airbnb was starting out, you know, the, you know, who's going to rent out your rooms? That's oh, right. Yeah. It's no. like wow. But now these companies are there; they're doing their work. So anybody listening to this, anybody in the UK. I would say, you know, read Steve Jobs' biography by Walter Isaacson. Great, great book. Yeah. Great book. Um, read uh, anything on, you know, the giants of technology, including Microsoft, including um, Oracle, you know, Ellison, yes. as it were, in terms of just I would creativity. Probably say Elon Musk as well, you know. Yeah, no, Elon no, Musk is, yeah, absolutely. On the electronic cars would come in so quick. Uh, yeah, read that and... Uh, you know, recently read Walter Isaacson again, you know, because I get paid by Walter. I mention his <laughs> name every time. No, but seriously, his book on Leonardo da Vinci is probably going to be the star. Um, the way, the way forward. And one, one website that people need, need to look at in terms of pure creativity is Brain Pickings. You know, weird name, mm. brainpickings.com. 
Okay. But where technology um, really comes into its own is when the CEO, the CEO, the finance director are matched by people who have an understanding of the arts. Steve Jobs had an understanding of the arts as well as technology and sciences. Mm. And the collision of the two, including Da Vinci, came up with something like iPod, the iPhone, what have you. That's right. Yes, that's a big one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you can. You can. You know, we are we are worst capital in the whole of the you know, European community mm. in terms of our air quality. Yes. Now a lot of people at City Hall, you know, Mayor Khan's put some programs together. TfL are using some programs. I'm actually going to a conference with TfL on Thursday, uh, talking about smart transportation and what have you, reducing the actual. Both not just the carbon footprint, but the actual pollution in the air over the next five, ten years. Good to know. I'm a big believer that you should actually make your disadvantages to your advantages. So people say, well, you know, pollution is bad, so how do we make that into an advantage? Yeah. Well, the great thing about you know, having a massive disadvantage like pollution is that it requires thinking that we've not thought about yet. Puts you up against the wall. And it puts you up think, against yeah. the wall and thinks, right, we have great civil engineering, we have great materials technologists, we have great smart materials uh, experts. Yes. Combine all these guys and basically, you know, some politician somewhere has to stand up and say, you know what? Just like JFK said when we're going to put a man on the moon yeah. within, within the decade. Yes. And we do it because, you know, it's difficult, not because it's easy. <laughs> some politician somewhere at City Hall is going to have to stand up and say, right, you know what? I don't know how we're going to do it, yes. but we're going to commit to making London a smart and a pollution-free city by 2025, not 2050, because there's enough wriggle room that these people, you know, will not be, you know, be be around then. That's right. They'll have retired by then, what have you. So anybody can say 2050. Let's be a leader. You know, but if you say 2025, that's within the actual political short term. Mm -hmm. So we want somebody out there to stand up and say, right, 2025, London is going to be a zero pollution city. To do that, we have to harness the actual um, talent that's within London. Yes, because we have a lot of talent. A lot of talent. Uh, we've got the best research universities on the planet. Yes. Apart from you know a few cities in America and a few cities in Asia, we've still got the best. Yes. But we need the vision. If we have that vision and we rise to that vision, not only does it help London by giving us better air quality, mm. but we can actually then patent all those technologies and sell it to everybody on the planet. 60% of the world's population by 2050, supposedly, hmm. are going to be living in an urban environment. Yes. So pollution is only going to go up. Yes. No doubt. And we can be a market leader. We can be a market leader. It's the next trillion dollar business. We've got the vision. Somebody has to stand up and say, well, we're going to do this. Because I appreciate the, you know, the political... I'm only here for four years, I've got to make sure I get re-elected and what have you. That's right. But somebody has to stand up and say, I don't not care about re-election, I'm going to give the people of London a vision. Yes. This is it, we're going to harness our technologies, mm. we're going to harness the actual talent amongst non-technology people and basically create a brand new set of industries. That's food for thought here right now. We're not yeah. about food for thought, the other part of it is <laughs> uh, vertical farms. I right. think that London could benefit from vertical farms. The idea has been around for 40, 50 years. How does that work? Exactly? So vertical farms are basically a skyscraper. Mm. And each level, each what would normally be floors, each floor creates its own produce. 
So one floor could be, you know, tomatoes, could be cucumbers, could be cabbages, what have you. Yes. Yeah. You know, the technology, agricultural tech is already here. We can still, we can already do this. Now, a lot of people are talking about pollution, logistics, diesel trucks, bringing all this produce from the countryside into the city or we're importing and we're exporting. Great. This is another great opportunity for London to be a world leader. And I think it will be by each of the boroughs having a vertical farm or a couple of vertical farms mm. where once the in, in initial investment has been you know, created and it's you know been paid off, we will have a source of cheap, nutritious vegetables and fruit for the people of London. That's and right. the carbon footprint goes down massively. It's fresh food. Right fresh there. food. And we won't see it in our generation, including your generation. I know you're young, you're a lot younger than I am. <laughs> but three generations down, 75 years down the line, you'll see the actual NHS bill in London go down dramatically because people are healthier. That would be amazing. That would be great. No yeah. pollution. No pollution and access to very cheap, very cheap, nutritious food. That's a dream. That's a dream for London. And, you know, and a healthy workforce just makes you more productive. And we start creating even more technology. Wow. So London could be the Venice of, you know, like Venice was in the 14th century. London could be that city. Yes. You know, in the 21st century or the 22nd century. I'm excited. I'm excited to see. <laughs> I'm not going to be here. Unless, unless I can upload my brain into some, you know, into some computer, I won't be able to see it. But, you know, finishing, I would just say to any politician within the London Assembly, yeah. is somebody somewhere must have the guts to stand up and say we want to do this. And if they don't, Caroline Lucas, who is the you know the leader of the Green Party, they've got people on the London Assembly, maybe you want to actually have a go. Yeah. If the others don't. Well there you go. There you go. There you go. Thank you very much. No, uh, thank can't you. Believe, can't believe the time is up already. It's been an enjoyable chat. I think what we got out of your experience and knowledge has been very helpful. That's very kind of you. <laughs> okay. I sort of learn a lot and I'm I'm really excited about the future of London. And, and the present, actually. A lot of people don't think about the present, but the present is even more exciting than the future. Well, the present is great. You know, we, we, the great thing about London is that we've got so many challenges mm. that we can only, you know... Embrace it. Embrace it, and then turn them around and make them into opportunities. Yes. That's the only way to you know, create, you know, get rid of these challenges, is to rebrand them as opportunities and use the wonderful brain power of Londoners. Not just the actual brainiac chain of... Um, financiers and technologists, but everybody, to actually come to some kind of sentiment to think, right, you know what, we're going to get together and we're going to create an amazing city for people to live. Well, Barrett, thank you very much. Thank you. And that is it for another episode of Tech Law Talks with your host here, Jared Kelly. We're based in Old Street, so if you do have any questions or would like to pop into the office, please do so. Otherwise, you can contact me through Talks at dklm.co.uk. I would love to hear your comments, any thoughts, or if you do have any questions for previous guests or future guests to come, please write in and I'll make sure I'll get your questions in. Other than that, that's it for us today and enjoy the rest of the week. Thank you.